All right, I have two fun facts for you. Oh, God. Fun fact number one, I know every single word to it's tricky, which is not really that big of a brag because okay. it's a classic and everyone on earth knows it. Except for me. Except for you. I've never but heard of it. But I thought you might be shy. It's <laughs> Run DMC. How does it go? It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Run DMC sampled the monkeys. So, yes, I no grew up way. for Mary Mary. Mary, oh. Mary, why you bugging? <laughs> I wore my queen shirt. I'm ready yeah. to talk about Run DMC today. <laughs> Hi, Jillian Bezavali. Hello, Patrick Hines. Oh, fam. Come see me on my book party tour. Yeah. So now that we're in the future, you came to opening night, which was like this past weekend in yes. the time that we're in right now. Yes. Was it good? It was so much fun. I'm so proud of you. Did you have a Thank wonderful you. time? I did. I, I love sharing the story. It's such a fun story about my drama club years. Yes. It's very funny, don't you think? I do, I do think. <laughs> There's a video from me doing a Vita when I was in high school. Now you're just telling all these tales out of school. I know, don't I know, tell I know. You're right, much. you're right, you're right. Fam, we still have tickets available in Orlando. Seattle, Indianapolis, where we just added a second show, and Kansas City, where we just announced a show. We have one small change, though. To get your tickets now, go to patrickfails.com and click on See Patrick Live. That's a new place, fam. It's not on the TCO website anymore. It's patrickfails.com. Click on See Patrick Live, and girl, tell them why they should join the Patreon. Oh, okay. Well, it's again, it's up to you, whatever you'd like to do, but it's a party. We do um, ad-free versions of these episodes that you're hearing right now. We also do the episodes that have like a lot in a series, like yeah. Six, seven, eight, nine episodes like The Jinx and Making a Murderer and Relentless and Finding Andrea and Lorena and the all that vow. stuff. The Vow. <laughs> that sounds like a fart. I'm not good at making fart noises. Wow. Can I Somebody wrap it a thousand percent? Yeah, yeah, Can I yeah. do fart noises? Nope. Somebody pointed out that Allison Mack was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids 3. Good for her. I'm great. Fuck her. A lot of that on The Vow. Yeah, there's also tons of video content. There's our live show from Obsessed Fest, our live show from Boston where we did Class Action Park. Yes. There's the Rebecca and Rabia panel where they yeah. talk all about Adnan. There's so much stuff. I love getting in the Facebook group and seeing people being like, it's Friday night. I'm going to watch Class Action Park I from know, Boston. It's so nice. You know? And then we also do like AMAs or we give you advice or whatever. So we're, yeah. it's a big party. If you'd like to join us, you're welcome as always. Please and do. You know what? Stay up to date by joining the Facebook group. It's True Crime Obsessed Podcast Discussion Group. Yeah. Come and make friends, share your dog pictures, <laughs> talk about the episodes, meet Jillian and me. We're in there all the time. Yeah. That's all. Okay, that's it. Should we do it? Yeah. Let's, let's do, do it. it. All right, girl, what are we talking about today? All right, we are talking about an episode from a series called Remastered on yes. Netflix. We did the Sam Cooke one. Yes, yes. This is Who Killed Jam Master J of Run DMC, of yes. course. We are live in Jamaica, Queens tonight. 37-year-old Jam Master J was gunned down. One or two men were buzzed into Jam Master J's studio. Jam Master J shot and killed. Whoever was in the studio at the time, they are the only five that know who killed my brother. The witnesses were scared. Nobody says nothing. Either they scared or they hide something. It's a lot of mystery. We had 50, 60 different tips. Hypothetical. The security cameras had been tampered with. The police didn't seem to have any substantial evidence. Night of Jay's murder. Jay had a gun on him. People feel like it's an inside job. Come up from the hood. You know the person that did it. Something had to change. We wasn't just gonna leave it as it's another unsolved hip-hop crime. 
right at the top, we get a lot of information about like how groundbreaking Run DMC was. Yeah, like their cold open yeah. before we actually start yeah. was just, I mean, it kind of can't be understated or overstated like how important Run DMC They say that hip hop is what it is today because of Run DMC. Without them, it might not even exist. Yeah, like if you like hip hop, you can thank Run DMC for your new favorite artist. Totally. Whatever song you're really loving right now in the yeah. hip hop world, even if it, you think it sounds nothing, because of what they did and what they accomplished, yeah. that's why you can rock out. It's like that. the lasting legacy. It's amazing. It's incredible. So guess what? We're going to New York 1975. It's Christmas time in <laughs> Hollis, Queens. It's also like a really scary, like New York is like a very dangerous place to live. We're back to all that. Well, New York in the 70s, we can't escape it. I want to say this. I want to say fuck President Ford. Let me tell you, President <laughs> Ford is out here. It's 1975. <laughs> Default if you must, but don't expect help from the federal government. To which I say, what the hell did we ever do to you, Ford? I know. I barely know what any Greatest of those words. in the world. I don't know what any of those words mean, but he it makes it very clear that if New York City defaults on their loan, the federal government is not coming in to bail them out. Well, so what happens is... Oh, my... Here we go. New York is in the middle of a massive economic disaster, essentially. Yes. Uh-huh. And, like, the politicians are begging for money, and Ford and everyone's saying no. And so in order to save money, the city starts cutting all of these city services. Like, oh. important things that yeah. need to happen, which means, like, violence and crime are both up. Uh-huh. Because there's no money for anything. No. <laughs> Thanks, I, Ford. I wrote, girl, which Elmo in Times Square hurt you? Why do you hate New York so much, Ford? Right, and then this basically causes, like, white flight because yes. it, they say... Middle-class residents are fleeing to the suburbs while working-class black families take their place in the boroughs. Hollis, Queens, with a low-middle-class neighborhood. People move from the hood to Hollis, right? They're seeking a better life. Working class black families are, quote, taking their place in the boroughs, yes. and that's white flight. Right. And so this is where we meet Russell Simmons. Yeah, founder of Def Jam Records. Right. And he's telling us that, like, he moved to Hollis, Queens. This whole thing takes place in Hollis, Queens. Yeah. How close is that to where you grew up? It's Queens is pretty small, but it's different. It's, yeah. I'm not I'm not trying to claim Hollis yeah. by any <laughs> stretch at all. So Russell Simmons is the the brother of Reverend Run, of the run of Run DMC. Yes. And so he explains, like, when they moved in, the very last white family moved out about a week later. Like, he saw white flight happen. I mean. I know. But he tells us about the crew. So, like, this is, like, the Hollis crew, they call them. Yeah. So, Jay, who the documentary is about. Yeah. We meet Randy Allen, Big D, DJ Hurricane. All right. So, I kind of know DJ Hurricane a little oh, bit. Oh, really? Yeah. I, uh, he worked a lot with the Beastie Boys and Run DMC. And when uh, Adam Yauk died, MCA of the Beastie Boys, there was this MCA day sort of thing that happened in Brooklyn, like, once a year to honor him. Yeah. And, like, Hurricane went and Daryl McDaniels, the DMC of Run DMC. So I have like pictures with both of them. I knew Hurricane a little for like a few years when I was doing that. I'm like way out cooled in this episode. <laughs> I don't know anything. I was texting you. I'm like, I'm going to do my very best, but I don't know anything about this. Well, it's, you know, it's shocking. It's weird that the Indigo Girls did not make a, like a cameo. Just a little maybe stinger. Totally. That's you know, like they a have a documentary. Bed. There's a documentary about the Indigo Girls that just premiered at Sundance. It's called It's Only Life After All. Maybe oh, we'll do that documentary. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't that yeah. be great to be doing as a one-off? Sure. Oh my God. So Jamie, Master Jay was the peacekeeper. As street as Jay was, he was good. He was kind of the peacekeeper. You wouldn't get your money taken from you if Jay was around. So you always hoped when you went to the park that Jay was there. 
when you go to a party, you want to go to a party that Jay is at because no one's going to rob you there. Right. And like DMC of Run DMC, like he's the one who's saying like, no, no, no. When Jay was around, like everyone was like, oh, like you not know, only fun and nice, but you feel safer with him. And we just like learn throughout this thing that this guy just like takes care of everybody. Everybody. He gets like super rich and super famous. He never leaves the neighborhood. He takes care of his mom and his sister. He's buying cars for everybody. Yeah, like he buys. It's how I would be if I had that kind of money. Yeah, truly. Like he buys Christmas gifts for all the kids in Hollis and then like Christmas in Hollis, the song basically yes. like was brought out of that. He was buying cars for people. He's not only taking care of like his friends, but also his friends' extended families. Yes, it's yes. It's crazy. It's amazing. He was the most generous dude. So it's 1984 and drugs are really all around Hollis, Queens, thanks to these like notorious drug dealers. But you know, the thing that they say about this is that a lot of the kids in the neighborhood started selling drugs and like we're told at the same time, nobody trusted the cops. That like the drug dealers were actually like kind of looked at as the good guys because they were like bringing money into the neighborhood. Right. And the cops were like not to be trusted. Yeah, this guy Ramon Dukes is who's sort of like our narrator here. He's like, look, 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 the drug yeah. dealers were not innocent by any stretch. Right. Like things were things were happening. But the cops also did nothing to help it. Right. And they just kept like hurting it because they would be super abusive or whatever. They and would these do. like young kids who were selling drugs for like the actual people, like the I don't know what you call them, but like the, the drug dealer bosses or whatever. The kids are like, it felt like a family. One of the guys says, I made a ton of money at a young age. I was a part of something that it was like family. And it felt good. Because don't forget, half of us didn't have dads. Mom having to work, leaving the kids to fend for themselves. You know how they say an idle mind is the devil's workshop. That's true. There was nobody at home, and these guys took care of us. It felt like being a part of something. Yeah. We just get, like, a lot about how great Jay was. Like, we meet his mom. Yeah. And, like, she was this amazing woman. She was a teacher, and she taught him all the time and, like, taught all the kids. And, it's one of those you know, things, too, where he was, like, a music prodigy, where, like, whenever he had anything in his hands, he had to be making sounds with it. Right. Which is, like, such a parent thing to notice about your kid. Of course. Totally, you know? totally. And so, Ramon, again, says that hip-hop was manufactured by the tools that weren't supplied to us. And yeah. I was like, oh, if you really think about what that means right. like that's well and they talk about how like they worked with what they had they were plugging in their like boom boxes in like street posts yeah. at like block parties yeah. and they were creating the sound like it is a really amazing thing to see the genesis of like where hip hop was created literally in this neighborhood on these blocks at these block parties right and who was DJing Jay yeah. Jam Master Jay was the DJ and he was everyone's like look beyond excellent at yes. this he was so good at it. Even Hurricane's like, look, no one's perfect, but Jay was pretty close. <laughs> right. Like, thanks, Hera. Yeah. But first he would start in his house, and then, like, the house parties, and then it just sort of evolved, and then he goes to Jamaica Park, yeah. and he starts, like, DJing for the crowds out there, and the party kind of followed Jay. Like, Jay was the party. You right. know what I mean? Yes. And so Reverend Run, who I'm shocked is not in this documentary because he loves the camera, uh <laughs> Can we stop here for a second to talk about Run's house? I think that was on MTV or VH1, his reality show. Oh, my God. Did it take place in Hollis? No, it took place in his mansion in New Jersey. <laughs> now, Run's house, if you remember, whose house? Run's house. So... <laughs> This show, okay. he's a reverend, right? Uh huh. So, and he has like all these kids and his wife Justine and whatever. And so, at the end of every episode, this is true, and I have screenshots and you can Google it. You think I think you're lying to me? <laughs> you never know because this is gonna <laughs> sound wild. Okay, Reverend Run. Every ep would end with Rev in a bubble bath. <laughs> Typing some words uh -huh. of wisdom into a BlackBerry. Uh-huh. And he would start, it was usually some lesson we learned in the 22 minutes we spent together on the program. <laughs> yeah. Was it a voiceover or he's just reading it? No, so he would be typing it uh -huh. and there would even be a shot from behind him typing on the BlackBerry. I'm telling you, this is so Doogie Howser. That's exactly how every episode of Doogie Howser ended. Oh my God. When I say bubble bath. <laughs> With candles and everything. Candles and everything. And it's like, <laughs> it's like this slow jam music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, he'd always start with, good morning, very Queens. <laughs> 
So it would be like right, like as the cre- the end credits are rolling, the uh-huh. music would start. The bubble, the bubbles are as big as the bigger than the tub. They're as big all as over. your head. Good morning. Never let yourself get caught in a rut. A wise man said insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting new results. But always remember this, movement does not always mean growth. God is love, rev, run. And just like relax into the That's bathtub. That's what rev run means. Like I've rev seen run. that. This I've is, seen this that. Him like, relaxing after he put down the. Oh my god, rev run is a thing I've seen like on the internets, and now I know what that means. It's I've never run. known what it meant before. Yeah, he's the run of Run DMC. Oh my god! Can you stand the the bubble bath? I Are know. you kidding? Are you kidding? You work that hard. You're that you're that smart and talented. You take your bubble bath every day. At the end of every episode. Good morning. <laughs> All right, rev. I'm here. Bring me to church, baby. Let's totally. go. At some point, the band starts, and they need a DJ. Right. So before Jam Master J enters the picture, Run DMC has already been releasing. They released their debut single, It's Like That. It's like that, and that's the way it is. (laughs) And that's the way it is. And the song's exploded, and they're like, all right, we got to do live shows. Uh So to do live shows, they need a DJ. And Jam Master J was like the guy. Everyone knew who Jam Master J was, right? And Rev was like, I'm a DJ, but I'm also rapping. So, uh-huh. like, I can't do both. We need someone to really, like, help throw this party, essentially. And so they bring him in, and he, like, blows it up right away, and he, like, creates their style. They show this picture of them in, like, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, like, like their suit jackets. Yeah. And then, like, all of a sudden, they pick him up for their first live show, and he's wearing these, like, open Adidas sneakers, this, like, Adidas jacket. And the hat and, and everything. He's like, I'm going to take you guys shopping, and you're all going to dress like me. And, like, Jay had a much better look, obviously. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But Russell Simmons says the thing about Run DMC is that what everyone is explaining is that like it was just their authenticity. It was like who they were and who the like the vibe of the neighborhood and the people of the neighborhood they just like made famous. So Russell Simmons is like that was like a real honest look of what people were wearing. Like a lot of it came from prison, yeah. as Russell Simmons says. And Jay was just one of the guys like on the street rocking the Adidas. And so that became the look. And it's an iconic look. And what's amazing about that is that he never changes. Most DJs, when they get in, they get a gimmick and you get dancers, you get all this Hollywood stuff. We didn't change to fit in the show business. Jay took the park parties and the street parties and put it on stage. To the world, it was new because they had never seen it. That's what made him a pioneer. His thing was like, well, I can't move to Hollywood. I have all these people to exactly, take care of. Exactly, exactly. And so at first, you need a name right. to be a DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at first, he wanted to be Jazzy J. And DMC is like, no way. In hip-hop, you can't be a copycat. Yeah. There's already Jazzy J. Jazzy was taken. Yep. Can't do it. So he was like, what about Grandmaster? And they're like, no, that's been taken several times over. <laughs> so DMC takes credit for this in this documentary. And no one contests him. I don't know. But he's like, then I came up with Jam Master J. And he loved it. And then he, I'm like, all right. All right, Dan. All right, Daryl. You can take credit for I, that. My mind is blown by how much institutional knowledge you have on Run DMC. I grew, I truly grew up listening to them. It's amazing. Yeah, thanks. Also, Jam Master J decides, like, apparently the DJ used to always stand in the background. Yes. And the rapper would be in the front. He's like, fuck that. I'm going to be the famous one. Well, that's the thing. Because, like, people sort of forget yeah. that, like, they're really holding this all together. Like, yes, the people who are rapping, like, you have to have the talent to do that. But a bad DJ can ruin the whole vibe. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Jay was like, I'm awesome at this. Everyone's gonna know it. He was doing call and response. Like, you, they say that usually they were, like, silent. Like, uh-huh. the silent partner of the crew. But he's like, Can you imagine being the person who could put the records on the turntable and make that shit work? I can't imagine And he did it before the technology we have now. It's not Paris Hilton up in the booth pressing a button. He was doing it. Like, you know what I mean? And they did things that no one ever did. 
first Rolling Stone, first gold, first platinum, first double platinum, triple platinum, all that. You know, Run DMC was the first people to get a major endorsement from a sneaker. We ain't even talking about athletes, we're talking rappers. And actually, before that time, they were like rock stars. They became insanely famous. We were talking about this off mic. Explain this first to me. First what on the cover of Rolling Stone? Like, because hip-hop was happening for, yeah. like, since the 70s, right? But they were the first, they were, like, on a mainstream okay, so level being recognized. Okay, the first hip-hop artist to be on the cover of Rolling Stone and have a gold album and a platinum, like, that, that's what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. But then they teamed up with Aerosmith for a little song called Walk This Way. mind-blowing. I, like, looked this all up and watched all of it on YouTube like, tonight. that song is so famous that most people don't know that there's a Walk This Way without Run DMC. Yeah. Like, Walk This Way was on an Aerosmith record. Yeah. And they heard it, and they were like, let's come together. And that was, like, the first, like, now I feel like everyone's doing collaborations. Yes. Everyone's or doing this. sampling. It's not even collaborating. Right. I mean, they did sample the monkeys, but that's okay. Okay. It's so good. No, but this was amazing, and they were saying that, like, Run DMC had some white fans, but, like, Aerosmith was, like, the one of the biggest fucking rock bands of the time. Right, and it wasn't just, like, a rock band. It right. was Aerosmith. Yeah, yeah, And, yeah. like, they, it just can't be over or under, it was just, it made them international superstars. Like, it's such a big deal. So, they're international superstars. They're best friends with Aerosmith. They're, yeah. like, on the, they're on the boxes of Wheaties or whatever. They're doing all of it. <laughs> So they're making tons of money, right? Yeah. And this is where we learn, like, in a little more detail that Jay was just giving his money away. He was, yeah. He was giving people jobs, it like— It always makes me so nervous. I'm like, I know you, like, must be, like, 100 millionaires, but, like, put get a Steve and put some of that money somewhere I where know. it's safe. Well, he was, like, giving people jobs. So, yes. like, those drug dealers we were talking about before, yep. they would go on tour as security. Yeah. Or they, he was just giving people jobs. And again, it's the authenticity. It's not put on. These are people he loves and cares about that he's right. just trying to give a better life to. To, to Jay, I think— like from what we've learned it would make no sense like why wouldn't I hire him exactly he needs a job he would definitely kick someone's ass for me totally. so I, you should hire me as your security because <laughs> I'm never going to get into a fight but I would kick somebody's ass for you that's really nice yeah. then they start running <laughs> ow my ears it's like the most non-violent <laughs> confrontation <laughs> would you do that with your hands and you just start spinning <laughs> Oof, now I'm getting a little. <laughs> I gotta turn these headphones you need, down. You need security for the security? <laughs> no, never. That's very nice of you to say. And so, like, they didn't get famous in bail, which anyone would have done, especially yeah. living in this neighborhood, right? And, like, they say, like, they were the happy rappers. Like, I know. There was, like, no violence. That was, like, when it, that was, like the purest compliment when the guy said it. Can we yeah. hear it? Run DMC was very, like, kind of like happy rappers. They're very happy and poetic and articulate, not violent. That was hip-hop, 1983, 84. Run DMC wasn't gangster. I feel like it's the first time he's ever said that. And right. It was, like, the perfect way to describe it. Because Run DMC, like, broke the barriers. Yeah. And there were all these other groups coming out. Like, Public Enemy was more about, like, you know, speaking up about injustice. And, like, yes. talking about racism. And, like, it was more raw. They were talking about, like, social issues that, of course, needed to be discussed. Yeah. But Run DMC was, like, sampling the monkeys and talking yeah. about it's tricky. <laughs> and, you know, like... We just went to the block party. Right, like, they're on everyone's party playlist. Totally. You know? But then they say that by 1989, Run DMC was fading. Like, they had reached their peak. I don't... They've never faded. That's a... That was bad copy. Whoever yeah, wrote that I was not... wondering about that because we get into more, too. Like, we learn eventually that Jay is in debt. And I'm like, wait a second. Where did all the money go? Well, he bought five cars for That's everybody. <laughs> not... 
a joke. He did. But, you know, as Run DMC is, quote, fading or whatever's happening, Jay wants a bigger voice in the music industry. So he starts a fucking record label. Yeah. JMJ Records in Queens. But because the reason they're, like, quote, fading, which I don't. It's just other types of hip hop yeah. were getting popular. It's what always happens. So they weren't, like, the only game in town anymore. There right. was, like, a lot of other games. So a lot of other games. What? But this is where they make the point that, like, he opened his recording studio a five-minute walk from the house he grew up in. Like, he could have gone anywhere. Right. Like, so he gets famous, and then he comes home to go to work. Exactly. And, like, make more of what he was making. In his neighborhood with his people. Yeah. This is what he discovers 50 Cent, who's also from Queens. Yeah. And they say that 50 Cent is considered to be one of the most successful artists out of Queens or New York City as a whole. Yeah. We'll get back to 50 Cent in a second. Yeah. So, like, the first half of the documentary is, like, the backstory. And now it's October 30th, 2002. It's the night of the murder. Yeah, so we're in Queens, New York at Jay's recording studio. It's a cold, rainy, miserable night. Like, oh, gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> October 30th, I, yeah, yeah, cold yeah, yeah. and rainy. The look of, like, nostalgia for that date in your eyes that just happened. It's so far away. We just started the year again. We gotta go through the whole summer, so girl. Many, so oh, God, far you to poor go. thing. The summer's really rough on you. I hate it. <laughs> it hurts me. I know. <laughs> it's... I know. At this point, it's personal it because is I've made it so clear <laughs> yep. about my feelings about it, and it's mm-hmm. just it, it's relentless. And yet, it happens every year. It happens every Still. year, and it gets longer every uh, year, and it gets hotter every yeah. year. And I just wonder who I hurt. Yeah, <laughs> was it something I said? <laughs> Maybe talking about how much I hate you my whole life. Yeah, Maybe yeah, that yeah. did it. I'm, I'm, Summer, mm-hmm, wherever mm-hmm, you are. Mm-hmm. But that weather is important because we get back to that in a little bit. So yes. just remember, it was yeah. like, sort of like a distinctively cold and rainy. And it's kind of important to point out that like this is before social media. So basically, everyone is telling us there was a rumor all across the United States and Europe that Jam Master J got shot and killed in the studio. Then I turned it to Pix 11. We are live in Jamaica, Queens tonight. 37-year-old Jam Master J was gunned down while inside a Jamaica. And they're all hearing about it on the news. Like yeah. DMC and Reverend Run and Hurricane. Like all of these people are watching the news. And DMC, he's. I was like, you're such a New Yorker. He was like, I turned on Pix 11. <laughs> right. <laughs> and like to me, it's true. And it's such like it's such yeah, a heartbreaking yeah, yeah. moment of his life. It's like his best friend and like colleague yeah. and you know partner, but. Just like it's such a New York thing to say the name I of the channel, not like the yeah. news <laughs> or like ABC even. Rosa- Rosanna Scott on yeah, Pix Eleven. Totally. Come on now. I know that's a New Yorker through. But it's also like the details are still like nobody really knows what happens. Like one or two men were buzzed into Jay's studio, right? Like all of these icons are yeah. showing up to the studio because all we know is that Jam Master Jay has been shot at his studio, and they show him being taken out in a body bag, so they know he's really dead, right? And like DMC is like are these. Guys, like, I'm going to say some names you don't know, uh, like Chuck D and Ed Lover. And they, he's like, I've never seen these guys even get, like, a little bit emotional. He goes, they were crying like babies. And they're standing on the street in front of the studio. And everyone. They've, like, gone down there to, like, see if this was real. And that's how local all these guys were, you know? So they hear about this thing on the news. And they all just, again, it's just about the community. They just needed to be together. Like, what are they going to do sitting at home? They just had to be. The thing is, like, this is where people start to say, like, okay, but how did this happen? Jay was, like, a godfather from Hollis. You know what I'm saying? Just, just like, in fucking The Godfather, if The Godfather got shot, everybody else going to know, well, who the fuck was with him? How you let him get shot? You know what I'm saying? So that's how I seen it, you know? It's like, yo, who the fuck is with him? How you let him get shot? How did they 
let this happen? Exactly. Like, what is going on? And on top of that, not only is he super famous and loved and respected, Jamaica Avenue is like, someone says, maybe the most populated street in the entire borough of Queens. It just really is wild that like he obviously knows he's like a great talent, but he like doesn't take himself too seriously to the point that his only security was like a door that you had to be buzzed into. Well, there were security cameras outside the building. I just mean like, like why aren't there like security, security guards? Ga- yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so many people needed jobs around you, Jay. Like uh, yeah. one of them should have been your personal guy. But actually the person who killed him shouldn't have done it. So right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And on top of that, the most infuriating thing, his studio is across the street from a police precinct. Right. So this is like, it's, I know it's cold and rainy, but people in New York don't give a shit. We'll walk anywhere in any weather. So yeah. it is a very populated, people are coming off the subway. There's a police station across the street. There are cameras and he's, he's with other people. How did this happen? I also want to point out that like, we get into this later, but I'm going to say it now. Like, because it's one of the most populated shopping areas in, like this is 2002. Yeah. It's not that long ago. Right. There are security cameras everywhere. Right. Right. They should have caught these people in minutes. Right. And so that's where we start to hear from all these people. Of course, like, he's a black man. Yeah. He's also in hip-hop. Yeah. And, like, this happens all the time. They just don't care. Biggie Smalls was killed, you know, similarly, like, with Tupac. These are all unsolved crimes, and, and the feeling is that the police don't really care. They look at it as, like, let them kill each other. The faith within the urban community as a whole in government and law enforcement has definitely decreased. Because they reference Tupac and Biggie, mm-hmm. they are saying that like those murders are still unsolved right. to this day. Right. And it's not that people don't know what happened. It's that like some people know what happened but are too scared to say anything right. because of the elements within the community. And they don't feel like they'll be protected by the authorities. I mean, Tupac and Biggie, that was outside. I know. Well, and Jam <laughs> Master Jay, we see his studio. It's not that big. It's not. The, the killer walked, made eye contact with his receptionist. She knows who did it, yeah. but the police ref- not even don't offer, they refuse her actual protection. Yeah. So she can't tell people what she knows. Yeah, and we get to it, like, eventually, I guess I'll just say it here, there are so many things they could have done again, like you were saying, in 2002, like ask for license plates, talk to people, like, yeah. look at the, because we know now, like, everything gets recorded after 24 hours, right? Yeah, like, all the security right. yeah. cameras. Yeah. So, take the opportunity now, and start asking people now, the bodega across the street, the whatever, like, check the cameras. And they just say, like, you know, after they take the body out the police don't dust for fingerprints there's no murder weapon they don't like, really interview anybody like it's the whole like the biggie and the tupac of it like they are such famous people totally you would think there would be so much pressure to solve these cases yeah but the cops just don't get involved like at one point i i even wrote in my notes somewhere like how is this unsolved right how is this an unsolved right. crime again with the cops across the street it's not like they were stuck in traffic like right. everything could have happened so much quicker and in fact nothing happened at all yeah and that's why these people are standing out here and still to this day like sitting down and saying like why so we start to get information and theories about what could have happened yeah like who was in the studio with jay that night and we learn about a guy named ronald tenard washington they call him tenard and his story is that he's a childhood friend of jay's he came to the studio that day he was staying with jay's mom at the time yes and like he says jay was kind of paranoid he was kind of watching he thought maybe something was going to happen According to Tenar, Jay gave him $200 to go buy bullets. Tenar also claims that Jay was scared and wanted protection. 
So he sends this guy out to We're, get him $200 worth of bullets. And in case it doesn't come back later, this guy's eventually going to be looked at as a suspect. And the question is, did Jay really give him the $200? Or is Tenard afraid that people saw him at the scene right. and he's the killer? So he's trying to give a reason as to why he was He's like there. faking an alibi. Exactly. It's a theory. Yeah. Then we meet Randy Allen. And Randy is one of the former drug dealers that Jay basically did everything for. Jay gave him a job. He always yeah. had his back. And they eventually go into business together. And They're like, like partners at Jay's label. Their love and affection for each other is deep, deep, deep. They yeah. are like brothers. And we learn about Rodney Jones, who's Jay's nephew. And he's in a group called Rusty Waters. Yeah. So the band Rusty Waters is made up of Rodney Jones, who's Jay's nephew, and this guy, Randy, who's like the business partner slash best friend. Right. I'm only slowing down on this because for two reasons. They were recording the day of the murder. And also they go on to get a million dollar record contract. Yeah. Also, you're doing great. Thank you so much. I, to I told you earlier, I don't know anything about this. And I went really slow and wrote down all the names. And I Your knew. Your work is showing. Thank you. I knew I was going to struggle with Randy and Rodney and Rusty Waters. I knew that was going to be we tough. We gotcha. Thank you. <laughs> Smooth waters right here. Yeah. We but got like, this. When we, you know, Rodney, the nephew is saying. Me and Jay was talking for a little bit. And I asked him to give me some money. And he was like, oh, well, you got some money. You got to go find Randy and go get your money. I got with Randy on Jamaica Avenue. And then we went to the barbershop to get my hair cut. He left, took my bags back to the studio. Meets him at the barbershop and takes the bag and goes back to the recording studio. Right. So Rodney, the nephew, is not there when the shooting happens, but Randy, the business partner, is. Right. And how lucky that, like, Jam Master Jay is making beats for your debut album. Oh, my God. Can you but, imagine? you know, I, I was thinking earlier, that's probably one of the reasons why he stayed in his neighborhood. Like, he knows the pool of talent there is probably insane. Right. He you discovered know? 50 cents, yeah. apparently. It's not just about giving back. I'm sure it's a lot of that. But he's like, why would I leave? Everyone who's the best of this in the world lives on my block. And, and I think he also is like, I know Run DMC put Queens on the map, but let's keep it there. Exactly. You know, like, exactly. I think it's just that, that hometown pride yep. that comes through. So let's talk about the layout of the studio. So it's can, not that big. I thought not. it was going to be bigger. So what happens is you get buzzed in. Yeah. You walk up this long staircase. Then you walk down a long hallway. A really long hallway. I was annoyed by the staircase. Get me an elevator. Oh, wow. My God, he's so famous. I want an elevator. I would show up in the studio and be like, he's up the, up the stairs? What of the many differences between you and Jam Master Jay? <laughs> I wasn't expecting stairs. I don't yeah. know if I'm going to go see him. I'd be like, what? Know. You know I'm Jam Master Jay, right? Like, don't you want to be in my presence for like five yes. seconds? Yes, fine. Yes, walk up. I'll take the stairs. I, you might need a break. <laughs> Someone to hand you just a little bit. I'm on, on the eighth side. stair. I'm going to take a minute. Thank you so much. They're like, okay, we'll just make like five amazing beats in your absence. Totally. We'll just make history again. <laughs> Done it a thousand times before. God damn it. I'll be up in a minute. Yeah, okay. They're like, all right. So when you walk in, reception is on your left, and then there's like a lounge area straight ahead, and yeah. then a control room behind that. It's very, very small. It's small. Which I is was... like, yeah, that's studios are. They're not gigantic. But the point is, be. we're going to learn, when the killer was buzzed in, it was two people, and they come into this space, and we know who's in there. So like, Jay is in there, Randy is in there, the receptionist is in there, and this like guy from the Mike neighborhood. Might yeah. just like a guy. The point is, it's a really confined space, and these guys weren't wearing hockey masks. Like, they had hoods on, but the people in the room saw who the killers were. Right. And there is this other guy there named Tony. And I just want to... This, this oh, guy, God, the shade. The shade with David. <laughs> so this guy, David Seabrook, who's a friend and is with us throughout, he tells us about this guy, Tony. Tony Rincon was a dude in the neighborhood, not from Hollis. He was from Flushing, Queens. He was a car sitter. So when Jay would go into Manhattan, he would snatch him up so he could sit in the car while Jay ran upstairs to see his lawyer so he could double park without parking. That's what Tony was. It wasn't a gangster, wasn't a fighter, none of that. 
So it couldn't have been the worst person in that studio than Andy, because he is a coward at the end of the day. Yeah, Tony didn't do shit because at the end of the day, this guy's a coward. Well, oh, David. It, the shade was really deep, but he, he's making the point of like when the earlier guy was like, how did you let this happen? How right. was this allowed? Like he was sitting next to the only person that they know who wouldn't jump in front of the bullet for yeah, Jay, he's is what he's saying. He's a car sitter. Poor guy. <laughs> I know. And like something happened between him and David. I know, for sure. Because you can be a yeah, car sitter yeah. and you can be not the best guy, but like there's something deeper there. I feel like the unspoken rule is like, look, this guy, I made it big. He's really famous. He bought all of us cars and houses. If you got to take a bullet for the guy, you got to take a bullet for the guy. Right. And if you're the guy sitting next to the guy and he dies because you didn't take the bullet, I feel like everybody hates you. This guy yeah. has to go into hiding. Yeah. Tony goes into hiding. Yeah, to- if that's his real name, Tony. Right, totally. Probably not his real name, Tony. <laughs> now we meet Detective Vincent Santangelo, yeah. lead investigator. Now, I got to say, we don't really meet him. It's archival footage. It's, from, it's old. Yeah, because the NYPD did not agree to sit down for an interview. They sure did. Yeah. So what he tells us is like, look, some guy walked in, he's wearing dark clothes, he has a hood up, yeah. no one could see his face, and there was like a heated conversation, Lydia the receptionist tries to run, Yeah. then suddenly, oh my god, there's a second guy in the hallway preventing her from leaving, he tells her to get on the floor. And then, this is what, it's like, Tony. <laughs> this is wild. Tony's like a, a real liability now. Tony's a real yeah. pain in the ass. Yeah, oh, yeah. Tony's coming? <laughs> it's getting to that point. Why is Jay friends with him? I, he's a, I, you know how many like hangers on totally, those people have? Totally, you know what I mean? Yep. And Jay's too nice to be like, who's like, oh, Tony's Tony, here? He's totally. like, hi, Tony. <laughs> Just trying to be so nice. He's like, Jay, that beat's awesome. And Jay's like, I know. And Tony's more than happy to take Run the stairs. Run DMC and Jam yeah, yeah. Jay. <laughs> I, I know. Tony said when they walked in, his phone rang. He reached down to pick up his phone that supposedly fell between the couch. My mother just randomly, she just happened to recall me at that time, and that's exactly when everything happens. I just hear Jay say, like, oh, shit. heard the shot, and that's when I got hit in my leg. His mom called him. In the middle of a fucking murder. Tony, you're late for dinner, Tom. Yeah, and the, the killer is so annoyed, he shoots Tony in the leg. Because Tony, like, reaches down to get his phone, yeah. and that's why he... There's a lot of, like, a lot of story to why nobody saw anything. Or did anything. Exactly. You like, know? Like, oh, my mom called, and yeah. then the phone... And then it's like, you can't even answer the phone, Tony. It right. slips in between the cushions. No, I'm not in the business of defending Tony from Queens, but I will say, it's nobody's responsibility to take a bullet for another person. Uh, yes. They or, shouldn't have killed the guy in the first Place. They, sh- they you know should have I mean? walked in and ambushed these people. Exactly. I get it. But Tony, it. you are definitely going to look like an asshole in the story because all these people would have taken a bullet for the guy. Do you know how like the Schlemiel and Schlemazel, you know the difference? <laughs> it's like the, sh- the Schlemiel is the guy who's always who's always what dropping are we things. About? You know, like in Laverne and Shirley, Schlemiel, Schlemazel. Hoff and Pfeffer Incorporated. Right. Hoff and Pfeffer Incorporated. The Schlemiel is the guy who's always spilling things and the Schlemazel is the person who always gets the stuff spilled on them. Are they real people? It's like a term. Oh! How do you know these things? I don't know. How do you know these things? Schlemiel and Schlemazel. Schlemiel What are we talking about? I think they even talk about it in the West Wing. That oh may my be God. why I know it. Anyway, anyway. I, I can't decide which one Tony is. Is he the guy who's always spilling something or is he the guy who always gets stuff He's always spilling. On I'm the Schlemiel. Me and Tony you're the are Schlemazel. the same. Yeah. Wait, no, the Schlemazel gets the stuff spilled on you. Okay, then I'm the, the other one. Yeah. You're the Schlemiel. I'm sh- like. Do you enjoy saying that? Schlemiel and Schlemazel. <laughs> Schlemiel, Schlemazel. You're in a big like culture shock day. I today. don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Oh God. So it's literally chaos down here, Tom. I'm in a room with two people. I'm in right. there with Mike B and a girl, and they hear the shot. They're jumping all over everything. 
And I'm trying to get to the door because Lydia and Jay is there. So I'm running out. And once I get the door open, I see, you know, I see Jay laying there. I see my sister laid out, like, on the floor, scared to pick her head up because she don't know who's still in the room. Tony's on the floor. He's been shot. Jay's been shot. He's been killed. Lydia, the receptionist, tried to leave. Rodney, the business partner, he's also there. And also the nephew, Randy, has come back. So Rodney, the business partner and best friend, turns to leave as the cops are coming in. This is another thing that they skirt past really quickly. The cops put him in handcuffs. And rather than, like, treating him for witnessing this incredibly traumatic event, they treat him as a suspect. Everyone's, because he's a black guy. Right. And so one of the reasons they say that this case has never been solved is because the community has lost the trust of the cops and this is why. This guy just witnessed his best friend getting murdered and rather than just like asking if he's okay and treating him, they put him in handcuffs and drag him downtown. Right. And I'm not saying... So the cops are the enemy to these people. Of course. And I'm not just saying that as like, you know, I get a lot of shit for being, I don't know, the things I say, but I'm not just saying like, oh, because he's a black guy. I'm saying that because the cops are assuming he must be with those rappers. Right. He's black. You know what I'm saying? He must be the guy who shot the guy. It's like, it's their assumption. Yes, it's yeah. not me just like, it just, I'm just trying to explain it. reminds it. me of, remember in the Lori Vallow episode, her brother, a white guy, shoots and kills her husband. Yeah. And the cops know this. He, when we see the body yeah. cam footage, he's outside in front of the house. They're giving him water. Yeah. He's not in handcuffs. And she's like, oh, he just that's committed so weird. murder. And you know what I mean? And she's acting very suspicious because she's not sad about right. it. She's not reacting in any way. Yeah. And it's, they're like having a grand old time on the, on the curb outside. With, with the guy they know just committed a murder. And like, that is like the dichotomy difference between how Rodney was handled and how it would have been different if he had been a white man. Right. You know? Right. And that's one of the reasons why these cases can't get solved because nobody in that community feels like the cops are on their side. They're not going to go to them right. with any information. Right. So then we, we get just another archival. It's like archival 2002. It's not, yeah. 19, it's not 1902. <laughs> yeah. I know, But I know. It's, it looks so much older mm-hmm. now. But uh, Detective Vinny goes, oh, the male shooter? Not known to anybody. And I'm like, thanks, Vinny. <laughs> Queens, checking in. I got you. Wear my shirt. <laughs> Male shooter? Not known to anybody. Not known to anybody. So the studio manager, this guy Trini Washington, is like, well, the first thing's first. Did yeah. anybody check the cameras? Because he says, I got hired as a studio manager. Not 30 seconds later was he installing security cameras all over the but place. But I got to say, Trini, I liked him a lot until we find out that the cops are like, yeah, we did check the cameras. It was an old tape. Um, it showed, it looked like springtime. Because that day was a miserable, cloudy, cold day. You know, the date was off. Everything was off. We didn't have the right times or dates on there. Remember, the day of the killing was, like, cold and wet and rainy. Yeah. And, the like, the footage in the camera was, like, in the summer. It was, like, May. People in shorts and T-shirts. And they said the date was wrong. The, the date time and the wrong. time was all wrong. So, like, Trini, good work installing cameras, but you didn't do the upkeep. But This see, is exactly what we needed it for. But what he's saying is that it re-records every 24 hours. So that's when Jay's mom is like, did someone take the tape? Uh-huh. Did someone put in a different tape? Because Trini's saying, like, I specifically put one so that recorded you up that long staircase. Yeah. Your tape would have been 25 minutes long. <laughs> I'm, like, bent over at the knees. Like, Head between Durst my legs. Take it. <laughs> going up the stairs using two hands, hoisting himself that, up. Like the, the socks up to my knees. It's Absolutely. F- and that was five stairs. He was like going into the front door of an apartment building, yeah, 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 hoisting yeah. himself up. Totally. That's 43rd between 9th and 10th. He's I used to live on that dead block. Now. I know. Woohoo. But the point is either Trini did a bad job upkeeping the video or somebody hacked it. Right. Because what everyone is saying is like, hold on a second. There were cameras everywhere. So whoever buzzed them up knows who they are. 
Like, they wouldn't buzz up strangers. And it's Lydia. Like, that's the thing. Lydia, the receptionist, is the one who buzzed them in. Right. So Lydia knows who they are. And this is where they say she went to the cops and was like, if I tell you what I know, can I go into witness protection? And they said no. Yeah. They, they like, offered Lydia it. Lydia knows. She could solve this for us today. Right. They, like, offered it a little. And then they were like, yeah, never mind. So yeah. they're also putting people at risk by making these empty promises. You know, I saw a reward put up by the NYPD. It was, you know, it was under $10,000. I was like, this, this is what this man is worth? You know, so it's like perception means a lot, you know, and it's like if you're not going to do it any justice in that manner, like just don't even attempt at all. You know, just do your job, but don't insult the man's legacy like that. And then someone's like, yeah, it was a $10,000 reward. Like, is that what this is worth to you? Right. Is that what this, like a human being is worth to you? Or just do your fucking job. Right. And like that guy, David, who was throwing shade at Tony, the car sitter. Yeah. The car sitter. <laughs> the car sitter. <laughs> I know. Also like nice work if you can get it, right? Oh, 100%. Like, you get to hang out with your famous friend all day. Right. And just I like. Would, I would car sit for Martha Plimpton if she asked me. Just like circle so, when you need I to. Now that we're talking about it, I can't believe she's never asked me. <laughs> I would do. Patrick, she's the kind you of. Can you car sitter? How I, do you ask? Do you, you can't say car sitter. You have to say, can you do me a favor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it sort of evolves into like, totally. you're just the guy who does that. I'm Martha's now. car sitter. Totally. <laughs> I would totally do that. Call her up and see if she needs one. I would do it, but I don't drive. So no. David Seabrook, who was throwing shade at Tony the car sitter, yeah. he makes a good point. And he was like, what's so frustrating about this that people don't feel safe going to the cops, which is the cops' own doing. Yeah. David's like, Jay gave these people everything. He gave them homes. He gave them cars. He fed like them and their jobs. family. Yeah. Like jobs, like their extended family. Like, oh, my uncle needs this. My mom needs that. My aunt needs this. And he's like, it's just like, it's so beyond frustrating that like it's so typical that this has to happen that they can't help the person who really like kept so many people afloat for uh, so many years. Totally. And then you know another theory is that Jay got caught up in some beef they say between like a New York City quote drug lord their word not mine and 50 cents. Okay hold on. Okay. Hold on a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's slow down because there's a familiar face in this story. Oh is there? Who? Okay. Okay. <laughs> familiar to who girl? Yeah. Are Amy and Emily finally here? They're not. Okay. <laughs> not that familiar. <laughs> So 50 is Cent... Is it Paula Cole? <laughs> it is not, unfortunately. <laughs> 50 Cent has a uh, checkered past, to yeah. say the least. Before he was a rapper, he was, like, in with drug dealers, yeah. right? This, like, very, very scary drug dealer, this guy, Supreme McGriff. This is truly where we get into everybody having eight names. Yeah. So it's Kenneth Supreme McGriff, very famous, very scary drug dealer. And, and Gerald Prince Miller. His second in command. Yeah. Now, 50 Cent, I don't know why he chose to do this. I know. But he releases a record telling lots of tales out of school. After enjoying much success, 50 released a very controversial record that made references to a number of prominent street figures, including Supreme and Prince. Yo, when you hear talk of the South Side, you hear talk of the team. See niggas fear Prince and respected Prince. For all you slow motherfuckers, I'ma break it down iller. Supreme was the businessman and Prince was the killer. Remember? He's name checking them. He's saying they're murderers. Like he's really saying everything. He named names. Oh, I know who the familiar face is. <laughs> Everyone's like, well, now he's snitching. You can't just like name drop people and say murderers and like talk about stuff they've done. Like that's not I okay. I guess when you're 50 Cent and you're one of the most famous, richest people in the world, you do start to feel untouchable. Well, so untouchable. Yeah. That 50, again, in his infinite wisdom, starts a fight with Ja Rule. Exactly. Also from Queens. <laughs> or as you call him, Ja Rule. Ja Rule. People are so mad that he's coming for Ja Rule 
rule that they're saying that Jay was killed because people were mad at 50 Cent. Right, because Jerul, because Jerul <laughs> knew these drug dealers. So, like, bad idea, 50. Now you're just like, I don't know why he's starting all these fights. Yeah. But, like, you know that story where, like, he was shot nine times and lived to tell? That's this story. So that's a real thing that happened that I didn't know. 50 oh. Cent was shot nine times. That's all like, he raps about. Yeah, and we, like, I don't know anything about him except that he dated Chelsea Handler for five seconds. Oh, he did? Yeah. Missed it. And so they were, so did she. It, like, oh, was okay. very short-lived. But, like, he survived being shot nine times over this thing. Yeah, as per the internet, he had wounds in his hand, arm, hip, both legs, chest, and his face. Jesus. Over this fight. And so, like, now they're like, yeah, so 50 started fights with all of these rappers. And because of that, all of the rappers and the drug dealers want to go after Jam Master J because Jam Master J discovered 50. And Uh somehow it's Jam Master J's responsibility for 50 Cent starting all this shit, which is unbelievably stupid. Could we just ask Lydia who it was and then put her in witness protection? I know. You know what I mean? Get that girl a job at a Cinnabon in Ohio. Right. You know? And even, like, the Supreme, like, the super scary famous drug dealer, he's on the phone from prison because he is a convicted. And murderer. Yeah. I'm just saying facts. Yeah, it's true. He's calling on the phone from prison. He's like, I never, I never knew he was signed to Jay. I never knew he was signed to Jay. Everything I knew about Jay was Jay was a cool dude, and that's as far as it went. You know, rock when I was seeing him, we was, what's up, what's up, and that was it. Jay was a cool dude. Everyone loved Jay, Master Jay. I never had an issue with him. Not like, we that, were like, fine. I, not that I expected this guy to admit to a murder from prison or anything. But, but sometimes like, when you're in for life, who cares? I guess that's true. That ha- I mean, it yeah. happens, you know? But he's like, I knew Jay is like a very cool guy. Like, I had no issue with him. Like, my issue was with 50 Cent, and that's it. Yeah, and then there's another theory involving Jay's friend Curtis Schoon. Yeah. That maybe there was like another drug deal gone bad. One of Jay's friends is laughing so hard they're, at this. They just, they're like, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, he goes one million percent sure. No. Yeah. And everyone's like, "That's nonsense." He had no reason to be selling drugs. He's like, maybe even his mom is like some weed here and there, like some low level stuff. Okay. I guess so. But this is I have the same note. Like he was like famous and rich. Why would he be selling drugs? But then we learn he's four hundred thousand dollars in debt because he had a lot of people he was paying for, and he doesn't like. It's like he like doesn't want them to have to go like away from the lifestyle uh-huh. to which they They've have become, become accustomed. Of, you know, thanks to him. Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure. He has, like, all these back taxes, $470,000, and, like, the government was knocking on his door. I mean, and the it's back like, taxes thing is so real. You can go to jail for that. Yeah, and it's like, he, there was under pressure. Yeah, I think it's exactly right. The pressure was like, well, I, I've been doing this for these people since the 80s. And he's also doing everything right. Like, he started a business. He started a record label. He's got, like, insanely talented acts that are about to blow up. He's just in a moment of debt. Right. So people you know? are saying, like, you know, when the IRS comes knocking, yeah. that can make anyone maybe feel pressure to make some bad decisions. Like, they were demanding, he, they were taking his things, they were threatening him with jail. But like one of the talking heads who I think we like and trust tells a story about how, like, Jay and this guy Curtis went to California to buy cocaine. I don't know if this is true or not. I don't either. It sounds out of character, but what do I know? And that, like, the guy they were going to buy cocaine from to then sell wasn't there. Plan B was buying it from someone else. Plan B never works. Never. Okay? Plan B never works in these kind of business. When Jason went there, that somebody else, he got set up for 30000 So we were out of 30000 Plan A falls through. Then yeah. we have to go to Plan B. David hates Plan B. But can I he tell goes, you? Plan B 
never works. And, and I'm like, well, some over the counter it does. Yeah, but what David doesn't say is that this never happened. You know right. what I mean? Right. So it makes me feel like maybe this did happen. So I don't know. But they're like, no matter what, Curtis isn't going to kill the guy over $30,000 because if anybody's got a way of making the money back, it's Jay. The guy's a worker. Yeah, and from all of the stories we've told in this podcast and the television shows and the movies I've watched, what doesn't make sense to me, and as I was thinking it, someone actually said it here, yeah. Killing someone doesn't put 30 grand in your pocket. Exactly. So I don't know where it's like, come up with the money or I'll kill you. Then you don't get the money either. Especially they make the point that he's like a rich and famous guy who's all he does is make money. The money's coming. Yeah. And so they're saying that this guy Curtis could have been the killer, but even the cops are like, we know like the frame, the size of the killer and Curtis is way bigger than that guy. Right. So it couldn't have been him. So then our next theory is Randy, the ex-drug dealer and the guy he went into business with. But like, it's so much more than that. I I just noticed from the documentary, like Randy was like... Like, Randy was close with Jay's family and his kids. Right. They loved each other. And so the documentary kind of tries to spin this as like a bump, bump, bump. Uh-huh. But I think to your point, it shows how close they were. Because they had this like what they describe as an insurance policy. Yeah. Together. And we, we keep talking about doing that for each other. Yeah. I'm like, please don't kill me. Uh, I'm not going to kill you, but if I die. <laughs> I know. I spoke to an expert. It's called key man insurance, or excuse me, key person insurance. Oh, exactly. It's a thing now. They were like, you don't have that. You should have that. Um, So Randy and Jay had what is called an insurance policy, but we don't really know what it is. But the details- They have what was called an insurance policy. Did you just learn that term today? No, but what they're calling an insurance policy. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Randy and Jay had some type of insurance that they shared amongst each other, you know, and in the wake of one of their deaths, like the other one had some type of rights to that insurance. An anonymous cop involved in the case corroborated that claim. What it is, is if something happens, the other guy gets everything. Yes. That's it. So it's like, I don't know if it's a will or an agreement or whatever, but it's called an insurance policy in this. I know what an insurance, I don't have insurance, (laughs) but I know what an insurance policy is. Also, more to the point that Randy didn't do this, Randy would have just inherited his $470,000 of debt. And then, and then everyone's like, oh, well, he was stealing money from Jay. They were like, he was playing all these, these dirty deals. And Randy's on some interview and he was like, open the books. Right. Go look at everything. Look through all my bank accounts. Like, I like I loved this guy. Like, I didn't do this. That would honestly be, like, as close as you and I are, somebody at your funeral accusing me of killing you. Right. How, like, I'm dealing with, not only did my best friend and business partner just die, I watched it fucking happen. Right. And now you think I did it. Can we just ask Lydia? Yeah. Lydia is the one who can say that he didn't do it. And then the stress of you thinking, how long do I have to wait until I make more content about this? <laughs> is, like, a week Okay. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, this guy, he was godfather to Jay's kid. He was his best man. Like, enough. We're just talking again about how, like, this is such a busy area. Other businesses had to have had cameras. Like, did the cops do any of that? Did they question anybody? And then they were treating every witness like a suspect. So all of these people who know things are getting threatened by the cops and threatening by other people in the community. So, of course, they're not going to say anything to anybody. And they're just like, why can't we solve this? I'm like, well, it's not an unsolved crime. Lydia knows what happened. Right. Why isn't there more focus on Lydia? She knows she let the guys out. She she looked into their faces. I think because she just took herself out of the narrative. I guess. And so Hurricane says, Had Jamaster J been a police officer up there, they would have fucking arrested 20 people until somebody told them who the hell did it. There's no way you would have got away with that. You know what I mean? Think about it. If he had been a police officer and somebody came up there and did that murder, they would have turned Queens upside down until they actually found the people that did the homicide. 
hey, if Jay was a cop, they would have solved the case. Like, if he was somebody different. And we learned that KRS-One has a song called If You Want to Commit Murder, Kill a Rapper. I, that hit me right in my soul. Yeah. Because that was when it really dawned on me, like, Tupac and Biggie Smalls, yeah. again, like, two of the most famous people in the world. Especially at that time. Uh-huh. They get murdered, and, like, the case just goes unsolved. I know. I know. So now, like, years are going by, yeah. right? And so when the cops are asked about it, they're just told, like, oh, the investigation is ongoing, you know, the same old stuff. So by 2007, Randy, the business partner, he decides to, like, start talking. And let just like to put a fine point on this in case it hasn't been made clear, Randy is Lydia's brother. Yeah. Lydia, the receptionist, the receptionist. who, like, let the guys up. And so Randy's like, all right, Lydia, if you don't feel comfortable, that's fine. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So Randy goes public with what Lydia, the receptionist, told the cops. And it all goes back to a guy we discussed early on, Ronald Tenard Washington. Yes. He was a friend of Jay's. He was the guy who was staying with Jay's mom at the time. Yes. And he, according to him, Jay gave him 200 bucks to buy bullets because Jay had the gun hidden and he was paranoid or whatever. And this is where people are like, well, wait, if Tenard like, is putting himself at the scene, is he doing that because he did the murder and he thinks people saw him and so right. he needs like giving himself an alibi and so this is where we hear from like DJ Hurricane and David the friend just what a piece of shit this Tenard guy is yeah because Hurricane kind of laughs he was like the dude was in prison all the time like most of his life he yeah. was in prison and David the friend goes Tenard was the kind of person that always stayed in jail I mean his whole life <laughs> Tenard wasn't known as a drug dealer he's just known as a foul person that would fucking rob you or anybody else like that's just how he was that's how he was known He'd rob you for no reason. He was just, he was the anti-Jay. Yes. You know, yes. like Jay was like, when you walk into a party and Jam Master Jay was there, you're like, whoo, okay, yep. good times. This guy was the total opposite. Exactly. And so he was never arrested. And so everyone's saying like, we got to look at this guy again because Lydia is like, this is information that comes from Lydia, the receptionist, who you keep saying, she knows. She knows. She looked into the face of the person. Right. And like, he was never arrested, even though everyone is telling the cops to look at this guy. And we also learned that like for years he's been in prison and while in prison, he's been confiding in a female friend that he was, quote, present at the murder. Right. He says he wasn't the trigger man, but he was there. He was there. And this Tenard guy eventually gives his own account of the night. He's saying he was there not because he was there to do the murder. He heard the gunshots and ran into the building is what he says. Right. He says as he's running into the building, he sees two people leaving. Little D and his father, Big D. We learned about Big D early in the episode. His yeah. real name is Darren. And he was one of like the, the one of Jay's friends from the neighborhood. But Little D is like an art, like a rap artist that Jay has signed. Right. And so, like, he's mad at the cops for thinking he's a suspect. This guy, Big D, is on camera threatening to kill a cop. Yeah. And somebody says that Little D would later tell someone, like, an actual trusted source. Later on the night of the murder, Tanar said that Little D told him, quote unquote, my pops wasn't supposed to shoot Jay. So, like, Little D is saying his dad did it. Right. But then, at the same time, one of the cops is like, actually, you know what? I think it was Little D. And I can't explain why. (laughs) Keep that in mind, right? Yeah. So, Little D's name is Carl Jordan Jr., which is, we'll get back to it. We're getting to the end now. And basically, it's just people saying, like, it's been so long. It's been 15 years. If people could only trust the cops a little bit, maybe we could get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of black rappers and people of color in general who have been killed and their murders are unsolved here. Yeah. One more thing before we part ways. 
Oh, because I have an update. So <laughs> yeah. you part. You- well, Randy is Lydia's sister, and remember, Randy's the one who's like, "Well, if Lydia's too scared to talk and tell what she told the cops, I'm going to do it." Yeah. He's got one more thing that she told the cops that we that he's now releasing to the public, which is that the trigger man had a neck tattoo, and they cut to a slow motion video of Little D at a nightclub, and they zoom in on his neck tattoo. Well, it ends with that. This is an open case. Yeah. Do I have news for you? Oh my goodness! Tell me everything. Ronald Tenard Washington and Little D are both on trial for Jam Esther J's murder. Now, let me just remind everybody, Tenard is the one who said he ran into the building when he heard the gunshots, and he was there, but not the trigger man. Right, he went to get the bullets, the 200 right. bullets or whatever. And Little D is the one with the neck tattoo, right. and Lydia says the killer had a neck tattoo. So they are both charged with the murder of Jam Esther J. Their trial begins February 13th, 2023. Wow. Like, it's fucking happening. What, do we have a motive? No, but... Little D was signed to his record label. Let me tell you, Little D was, he previously did time for shooting. Shooting Jam Master Jay's nephew, Rodney Jones. The guy that got the haircut. Yes. In the Rusty Waters band. Yes, look at you. <laughs> Their trial is scheduled to begin February 13th. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, we'll keep you posted, fam. Yeah. Holy shit. Right? Girl, we did it. We did it. What's it called? Who killed Jam Master Jay? My God, we, we might actually we might find, find out. We might find out soon, yeah. you know? Fam, couple things. Come to Obsess Fest, year two, Dallas, Texas, October 20th to the 22nd. I'm getting really excited about it. We're making artist announcements all the time. It's like a full weekend of panels and meetups and meet and greets and it's making new friends and drinking and Taylor Swift sing-alongs Ooh. and karaoke. I'm going to read another chapter from my book. Fun. Okay, yeah. great. Live shows. We're doing a live show. We are. Obsessed with Disappeared, now called I Think Not, is doing a live show. Right. Uh, drag brunch. Oh. Drag bingo. Oh God. You want to be there. It's going to yes. be so. Oh, and every ticket includes a copy of my book. Fun. Yeah. Okay, I'm in. So do that. Join the Patreon. Yes. Tell them why. Oh, I was going to give you the link, but I'll tell you why instead. <laughs> um, just so much extra bonus content. We're giving you like these episodes ad free and then the long form series and so much video content like yeah. live show stuff and then AMAs. Right now, by the time you all hear this, it'll probably be out. We're like recording House of Hammer right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- what a wild. Oof. About Army Hammer oh. being a fucking cannibal. And a rapist. And a, oh my, I it's, I hate him. I know. I hate him, God, too. I hate him. I hate him, too. Uh, what are we doing next, girl? Oh. <laughs> oh, I love when we get that kind of reaction. Remember Rich and Shameless? We did Girls Gone Wild? Yes. We're doing Rich and Shameless, Pam and Tommy Lee. Oh, shit. I'm so excited. I know. I know. I love her. She was in. Bro- she was on Broadway in Chicago. I know. We were going to do a company trip, and then we didn't for some reason. Yeah. I forget what happened. Because I'm good about it at 8 o'clock. Okay. That, well, that's too. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the society like did her real dirty, yeah. so we're yeah. going to get to the bottom of that. All right, well, we love you, fam. Stay tuned for the funny and hilarious outtakes and then the trailer for that, and okay. we love you. All right, we love you. Thanks for hanging out. All right, bye. Bye. Celebrities have a price tag. Pam and Tommy were a hot commodity. Their image is out there for public consumption. When you're a celebrity, you don't own yourself anymore. You're putting yourself out there. You belong to me. And to everybody else. And we're all going to profit off of it. At this point in time, in the 90s, no one's ever done something like this. It's too late to stop the tape. I mean, it's all over the world. People want to say it's because they are getting a glimpse into something that they should not be watching. We had no idea back then that something that went out on the internet would be there forever. The Pam and Tommy Lee video created an industry that tape was that impactful. It just blew the doors open. It's a great story. It's just unbelievable. You're about the first people to hear this. He's a car. 
cars. <laughs> he would sit in cars yes. for people so they could double park. And yeah. the, the, the It's another New York thing. It's such a New York it's thing. So New York. So you have no idea why he's called Little D. If his name is Carl Jordan Jr., where does Little D come from? Uh, well, I'm assuming that Darren, the dad, is Big D, so they just call him Little D. I guess so. So, so yes, I do have some okay. idea, Queens. Okay. <laughs> Want to give it a shot and do this by yourself? <laughs> the first time you've ever threatened to quit on me. How dare I, you? You know I'm, I'm full of shit. <laughs> that was barely a threat to Look, quit. I took so many notes on this. I was I was on the Wikipedia page. I, I was know. like, I'm not going to let you down. I'm asking you right now, how long is enough time? Oh, I don't know. I'm bad at this. I know. Who are you going to get to co-host this thing with you? I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know either. You think any, just anyone can do this? We <laughs> know that that's not true. I am so kidding. Please don't come Daisy, for me. Daisy, Judith Tiffin-Hines, my nine-year-old co-host. Oh, God. Can you imagine? <laughs> 